Good evening, everybody. Uh, this is Robin Nelson with another edition of Wrestle Podcast. And my guest tonight is Bugsy McGraw. How's it going, Bugsy? Oh, I tell you what, man. I'm, I'm uptight, out of sight, and in the groove like Dan Beck from James Brown. <laughs> um, you came out with a book called Brute Power, the autobiography of Bugsy McGraw. That's interesting, going from a pro wrestler to a registered nurse. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, true. It's kind of like unusual, yeah. So um, after you were done with wrestling and, be- and um, decided to become a you know registered nurse, um, did anybody at the hospital you work with knew that you were a pro wrestler or they just thought, you know, you were just a cool guy that was a nurse? <laughs> <laughs> I bet they probably were like, wow. <laughs> In a good way, though. All right. Um, let's talk about some stuff um, from your book. Um, let's talk about you were like um, growing up in the shadow of uh, Dick the Bruiser's uh, WWA territory. Indianapolis, Indiana. That's where, you know, that's where I live. That's where I grew up. And Dick the Bruiser, you know, you know his... Um, he took the territory, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you probably heard of, well, I don't know if you heard of, uh, Jim Barnett, but Jim Barnett had the territory and Bruiser and uh, Wilbur Snyder, they, you know, they took it from him actually, because they were over heavy, but the Bruiser was really over. I mean, he was like, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, he had a history, you know, he took the bruiser. He he played. Yeah, he played football at four colleges. Cause he was always, you know, he got. Yeah, he got. He got kicked out of four colleges, you know, for fighting. And then he he played professional football before the Packers. And uh, yeah, he did become all pro too. You know. So um, when you were growing up, um, you know, uh, as a child and all the way up to a, 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 an adult, what um, really got you uh, to get into uh, pro wrestling and train? Well, you know, it all started out when living in the neighborhood I did. The man, uh, the family that had the second house from us, he was a referee, and he would referee a lot of the matches 
uh, but he had been a prize fighter, you know. He had been a, a training partner uh, for Joe Lewis, uh, and his name was Lou Thomas. And uh, it was kind of not really wildly reported, but, you know, it, it was knowing that while he had been training with Joe Lewis, you know, as his, his sparring partner, that one time he knocked him out. But anyway, he had become a, a referee, and you know he was a fair-sized man. You know he was about a six foot one and weighed about two sixty, and and so I was just a kid. So he had, and I was friends with his son. His son was a few years younger than me, but every so often he would take us to the matches, and. Uh, I mean that was a real thrill, you know. I mean I was rough I was roughly fourteen years old or something like that. And, you know, we used to go to all these usually he would take us to these little um, you know, what they call spot shows. Yeah. All in the smaller towns and you know, they had uh, the bruiser would be there, Wilbur Snyder, Yukon Eric, Cowboy Ellis, uh, the Shire brothers, you know who the Shire brothers were Oh, I've never uh, heard of the Shire Brothers. Tell me a little bit about them. Well, uh, Roy Shire, who who became the promoter in San Francisco, and then his partner, he had a young partner by the name of, his real name was Ray Stevens. I heard him, I imagine. Yeah, I've heard of Ray Stevens, yeah. Uh, So he was, uh, you know, it was Roy and Ray Shire. And they and they had a lot of heat. I mean, uh, when you talk about heat, I mean, dear God, well, you know, I mean, they tried to kill him a few times. I mean, actually tried to kill him. And because uh, see, wrestling got really hot there in the late late in the late late fifties, and the and the early sixties wrestling in 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 Indianapolis was like super super hot I mean they were drawn all the time and you know I mean it was it it was an exciting time I bet it was because you got to uh, watch all the legends in the ring um, no wonder that you wanted to become a pro wrestler <laughs> oh yeah I mean you saw you, you, you know I mean when you see I mean you're a kid you're 14 years old and you see all that excitement and you see, you know, it just, wow, you know, I mean, it, it, it was awesome. But, you know, it, it was something to watch. It was something to be, you know, I mean, even though I wasn't wrestling or anything at, at that time, I, I was, I was kind of in, I was kind of involved, you know, because of, of Lou Thomas, the referee. Yeah. So from there, when you got a little bit older, was Lou Thomas the one that really um, got you to really reach out and go train to become a pro wrestler when you were a little older? Uh, no, um, no, not actually. He he had been involved in an auto accident, and you know he 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 wasn't right from that time on, but I. But I found uh, later on, because uh, 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 I kind of had that desire that I wanted, you know, mm-hmm. that, I, that I wanted to become a professional wrestler, you know, 
Lighter, obviously, from the time I was roughly 14. And then after I graduated from college, I went to law school for a while, but I I decided that, you know, the heck with that, I'm going to go, I want to be, I want to play professional sports, so, you know, I went, I found a guy in Indianapolis who, uh, who was actually, uh, uh, he would wrestle for the Bruiser off and on, but mainly he was wrestling up in Detroit for the Sheik, because that was the Sheik. She got a territory up there. Well, his territory was Michigan and Ohio. And so he brought me up to see the Sheik, and then uh, the Sheik, uh, uh, he started me. Yeah, he started you, and he broke you in as the Big O. That's right. How'd you come up with the Big O? Oh, that was his idea, not mine. Oh, okay. I thought maybe there was like a story to it. I was just, I was young. I mean, I was like 20, 22, yeah, 22 years old at that time. And uh, just said, I see, I graduated out of there. Yeah, I was about 22, 22, 23, you know. And, um, uh, you know, he had me wear a mask. Yeah. So yeah, that's. Uh, Was that kind of hard wrestling? Um, trying to see through a mask. Uh, well, you know what? What I can really say is, uh, usually I'm actually wearing a mask because I wasn't used to professional wrestling, you know, that much at all either. So. It was kind of what I can say is it was unusual, you know. Um, how long? How long did you wear the mask for, uh, and until you decided to take it off and um, you know wrestle without one? Well, you know, as long as I was working for Sheik, I was wearing the mask. So I was up there. I was up there about a year working for Sheik, you know. Yeah, he was way, he was well known up in the Detroit area. I mean, there was a lot of big names that worked for the Sheik. Oh yeah, you know, like uh, yeah, Bobo Brazil, mm-hmm. Mark Lewin, uh, Bulldog Brower. Uh, just uh, just a lot of back uh, then. Who was that guy? Moose Cholock. Uh, trying to think of all the guys. Uh, well, there was a lot of younger guys, too, you know, that we broke in roughly at the same time. Von Roschke, um, Rocky Johnson. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the guys. Uh, <laughs> and then some other guys that you might not have heard of because they either, they either died or they were killed. Uh, one was the old kid. Uh, he was, uh, but he, but he died overseas because the sheik, the, the sheik sent him uh, to uh, Aust- Australia, and he died there. Your big bad John. Uh, he was a younger guy, but he got killed in L.A. He got knifed. So. I doubt if you ever heard of him. <clears throat> and, uh, 
lot of guys. I'm trying to think, uh, you know, yeah, the Beast was there. Uh, he was out of, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, you wrestled everywhere around the world, too. Um, what was it like uh, wrestling over in Australia? Oh, Australia. I went over there about 1970. Actually, I can say, you know, I, I, that trip over to Australia, I got that from Roy Shire. You know, he did. You know, that's one of the good, one of the nicer things he ever helped me with or, or you know, he, he, he did because he could be hard to work for but he got me, uh, he got me that uh, trip overseas to Australia and then also um, Japan after that. So. Um, also, um, you also worked in some um, other territories as well, the Maritimes in Omaha. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience over in the Maritimes in Omaha? Yeah, the Maritimes. Oh, that's where you had uh, uh, that family. Uh, yeah, the Cormay family. That uh, was Rudy Kay, Bobby Kay, the Beast. Um, and there were couple of others, Rudy K, Bobby K, The Beast, yeah, Bobby, Rudy. Well, you know, there were, you know, it was a family uh, that had the territory and uh, they, um, they ran the territory. I was, I was not too impressed with them, actually. Um, also, you were um, really big in Canada. You were like the biggest villain um, when you were the brute. Uh, yeah. When I was in uh, Vancouver, I was, uh, you know, I, I was the man in Vancouver. There wasn't anything, there wasn't anybody that even came close to what I was, you know, I mean, I was... I was the franchise there, you know. Uh, so, and, and what they had done, too, was back at that time, you know, that was in the 70s, the early 70s, uh, they they filmed that show, um, that show that we had in Vancouver on the TV, and they, and they shot it across all of Canada. So, you know, it's like, uh, you know, for instance, Back then, I don't know if you remember a show called uh, uh, Yellow. Uh, it was called Hawaii Five O. Yeah, I've heard of Hawaii Five O of uh, Jack Lord as Steve McGarrett. Yeah, Jack Lord. Well, but too back at that time, they did a survey throughout Canada, and the number one celebrity that that everybody knew off the of TV was Jack Lord. The number two celebrity that, that everybody knew was me. Yeah. So you know, I mean, that's you know, that goes to show you. 
That's pretty amazing. I mean, you were number two right up there with Jack Lord. That's cool. Yeah. So, you know, that was, you know, that was good because everybody knew who I was. And, you know, I mean, I got over, you know, I mean, I got over. So it, 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 it was good back, back then. Uh, who was Eugene Kaninsky, of course, was in the was in the promotion. Gene Kaminsky, uh, trying to, to think who else was there. Oh, you know, I mean, they had other guys there, but I mean, I without without exaggeration, I was a franchise. I mean, I you know, I was I was the one that was drawing the money there. And I bet everybody loved coming seeing you uh, in action too. I I bet every time you got in a ring, you probably got a huge pop by the fans. Yeah, so, you know, one thing you know, I'm I was working heel, you know, and I worked heel the whole time I was there, which was good. Oh yeah, because you were doing your job to get all the people like entertained and getting that great story, and that's why you were the big draw, making all that money. Yeah, you know. It was good. It was good for, you know, while I was there for two years. And then um, let's talk about um, you wrestled the infamous Sam Shepard. Oh, yeah, Sam Shepard. That was in Georgia. And uh, (laughs) Sam Shepard was, um, uh, how do you, how do you describe him? He was, he didn't look like a wrestler for one thing, you know, and, but, and he wasn't, let's just say he really wasn't with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he didn't, he didn't, you know, he didn't, he didn't jive well in the ring or with, uh, professional wrestling. He was just, he was like, you know, he was not in his element. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. He was like uncomfortable. Yeah, you could see that, you know, he didn't really know what to do, how to do it, or when to do it, you know, and just, so, yeah, I, I wrestled him, you know, well, I think I was in a tag match or two, you know, they used him at that time in Georgia, kind of like a, like a, like a special attraction. Okay. So he wasn't there all the time, you know, that was back probably about 19, 1970 or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, also, you were like really big when you went down to the territory in Texas and one of your famous matches you were in down there was with the great Kabuki. Yeah, the Kabuki, uh, you know, he was, he had been, he was being managed, you know, by, Gary Hart and um, uh, they had switched me he had a baby face and then I was wrestling wrestling Kabuki you know because they with um, Gary Hart at that particular time you know uh, he was a booker uh, so you know he was he was t- uh, taking care of uh, Kabuki very, very well. So, you know, 
Uh, I wrestled him, you know, off and on yeah, quite a few times. So did you enjoy wrestling in Texas? Because Texas was a big hotbed for pro wrestling. Yeah, you know, you had wrestling out of, um, well, for Fritz Von Eric, he had, he had Alice, and then he would go, he went down to, uh, he went down to San Antonio, that was, uh, Blanchard had control of that, then you went to Houston, who was the guy that had control of Houston, I'm trying to think. I couldn't really tell you. I was way young during those times. And then, you know, for... Then you also had... Uh, oh, uh, for... Yeah, for Houston, it was uh, yeah, Paul Marsh. Paul Marsh. Then you go to West West Texas, out to Amarillo, and that... And uh, the ones that ran that were the Funks. So since you were down in Texas wrestling, you know, all the territories, and of course, what was it like to work with the Von Erics? Uh, the Von Erics. <clears throat> oh, boy, now you can get into some stories there. Yeah, let's hear some stories about you and the Von Erics. Oh, my God, this is... What, what's, what's one of your favorite ones of the Von Erics? I know you probably have a lot of them. What's one that still sticks with you that you like to talk about, about the Von Erics? Well, there, there was, you know, I mean, yeah, God bless them, you know. God bless them. I mean, they, you know, Fritz Von Erich had six sons. The first son... I think his name was Jack, and they lost him at an early age, at the age of three, because he stuck his he stuck his fingers in a light socket, and, and he got electrocuted. Wow! The the other four sons uh, committed suicide. I know that was so uh, sad of all the Von Erichs, and there's only one Von Erich brother living. Yeah, that's Kevin, and uh, yeah, he's in Hawaii. Yeah, and then he has uh, two sons that are tagging in the ind- independent circuit right now. Oh well, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, they go by they well, go they go by the Von Erichs. Yeah, well, that's good. But you know, I mean, it was just <clears throat> you know the thing with these kids was they well they were on drugs. I mean, they were on drugs heavy. I bet they were, and that's a shame because they were they were like big celebrities in Texas. Everybody loved the Von Erichs. They were, I mean, they were like really, really popular. Yeah, they had. I I know one time we were wrestling in in Fort Worth, and the youngest one, his name was Chris, and Chris they got him. The other brothers got Chris so high on drugs he went down to the concession stand and was standing in line to get something to eat and drink and he passed out wow and they had to come and get him and and they took him up in the bleachers he had to sleep it off (laughs) during the show (laughs) (laughs) it was ridiculous you know but but, you know but the one I mean they were let me think. Yeah, uh, you, you, Kevin Von Erich was very athletic. 
he, and Harry uh, was, uh, he was good too. Uh, but you know, they, but they were all on drugs, you know. I, I mean, there were times they didn't even know where they were. They used to walk around, whether it be winter or spring or, or whatever, without any shoes on. Wow. Yeah, because they thought that was cool. Uh, you know, so I, <laughs> I can tell you all kinds of things that happened. It was unbelievable, you know. I bet it was. You probably could write a Von Erich book if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, I kind of, you know, I mean, I felt like what a sad situation, you know, when when a man has six sons and now only one's left, you know, out of the six. Yeah, they were such a great, talented family um, in the world of pro wrestling. And it's sad what happened to all of them. I mean, they were just naturally good, athletic young men in the ring. Um, also, what was it like um, to wrestle um, Dusty Rhodes? Oh, Dusty, oh, you know, that's another one that... Uh when he was real young, you know, just beginning. He was working for the Sheik, too, you know. And that's when I first met him, was when he was working for the Sheik. When I first uh, broke in with Dusty Rhodes, and uh, then again, I, you know, um, I started working, I started working in Florida. And then he came in later. Well, when I first went down to Florida, the, the booker, they brought in um, your Buddy Rogers. Okay. You ever hear of him? Yeah, I've heard of Buddy Rogers, yes. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, there's a history and a half there with him. And, uh, but he didn't last that long. <laughs> Really, how come Dusty Rhodes didn't last that long uh, working for a Buddy Rogers? No, no, no. I said Rogers. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Rogers was the booker, but he didn't last that long as the booker. Okay. Because Eddie Graham, the owner of the territory, told Rogers he was not to wrestle. He was not to get in the ring at all. But he did. And so, you know... That's when um, Eddie Graham brought in uh, Dusty Rhodes, and that was one of the one of the best years they've ever had in Florida. The whole year of 1979, we either we either had a sellout or the house was packed every night. It didn't matter every night. And, um, I mean, we had, what, a year, the whole year long. And um, I was working heel, and, you know, I got over very, very well, and they switched me to babyface. And, uh, you know, I was really popular. And, uh, um, yeah, it, it, it was just, it, it was a good time, you know. I bet it was, because you were down there with the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. What was that? Because you were down there with the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, he was a 
booker. Yeah, and that's why you were enjoying yourself down there because he was booking, because he was real good at booking shows and matches. Yeah, he could be. Uh, yeah, he could be very good at it. Actually, there were times. You know, the only thing I, you know, I was with him off and on in a few places. Well, like in Florida, then up in the Carolinas too. Uh, the thing with Dusty, it's the same old thing with you know, but you see it in other other places too because it happened when I was in Texas. Because um, you know, I started. Um, when they switched me babyface in Texas, so I, you know, all all the Von Erichs were babyfaces, and I had been told by uh, uh, you ever hear of the spoiler? Um, no, I've never heard of the spoiler. Tell me about the spoiler. Well, he was uh, well, he was from Texas, so so after they switched me to babyface, we're in the dressing room. One uh, one night, and the spoiler says to me, he says, you know, if you outdraw the kids, you're only going to be on top for three weeks. And you know, almost exactly to the day, he was right, because I was outdrawing the kids, you know, so they took me off of the top, (laughs) and they put me in the middle of the card. But then, too, you know, it was like, because, they, you know, the Fritz did not want anybody to outdraw his sons. Wow, that's not cool. Well, that happened, you know, that happened with a lot of places. So then now we go to Florida, you know, this is just an example. Okay. You go to Florida with uh, Dusty Rhodes, because I was there for... Uh, for three years, I was there, and, uh, you know, I got over, I was really hot, you know, I was, you know, drawing money, but, and Dusty Rhodes was a booker, but, you know, I could tell, you know, that, uh, that he didn't want me to outdraw him, which I was, I was, you know, I, I was at the point where, you know, I was out drawing him so you know you can do various various uh, things you know to uh, you to make sure that the that whoever doesn't draw that well you know I mean it's not that hard at all but you know that's what he did too he did yeah so he made sure that you know that I, I was that I would be limited and what I could do there. So, uh, <clears throat> he did the same thing when he went to the Carolinas and he was working for Crockett. He did the same thing there to the uh, Rock and Roll Express because the Rock and Roll Express was, they were hot. I mean, just super hot. And, uh, you know, back then in the Carolinas, they were running three to five shows every night every night and uh, you know you had uh, you know the you know the ones that were that considered themselves you know like the real main eventers would be you know so Dusty Rhodes and so Ric Flair and and on and on you know the other guys like that 
But then they would take the Rock and Roll Express, who was really, really hot, and have them in, in the spot shows of smaller towns. Well, it got to a point where <clears throat> the Rock and Roll Express and these spot towns were starting to outdraw Dusty Roads and Ric Flair in the large arenas. You know what I mean? Oh, I do, because they, they were real big. I remember as a little kid um, um, hearing about them, how they would be drawn uh, big crowds. I mean, they were just good. They just had that great charisma about themselves. Um, they were just great in the ring. You know, I mean, when you go to a smaller town, like, for instance, you know, okay, your larger towns would be considered like Charlotte or Raleigh or... Yeah. Winston-Salem, but then, you know, they, you know, over in that area, they had a bunch of smaller towns, you know, you know, but the Rock and Roll Express, there were times they go into these smaller towns that weren't even half the size of these larger towns and were outdrawing the so-called main eventers, because, you know, I was, I was on that, I was on that separate team. But you know, uh, you know. I mean, they, I mean, they were just hot, hot as you could get. I mean, they just they were drawn all the time, and uh, you know that was. I mean, that was a sad thing. If they had been handled right, they could have made everybody money. Oh, they could have. They were so hot. I mean, they were just everywhere they went, they drew. And like I say, they would outdraw the so-called. Main eventers like uh, you know Ric Flair and uh, yeah Dusty Rhodes and uh, uh, the Andersons or whoever else was there yeah uh, Roddy Piper but I saw I mean I just saw it I go wow what a way I mean you could you could be there was there was so much that could be done with the Rock and Roll Express it was unbelievable but. Dusty Rhodes was the booker, so he kept him down. Wow, that's a shame. It seems like the way you're saying it, it seems like he did that to a lot of uh, wrestlers that were bigger than him. Wow. Yeah, well, it's the same old thing, you know. I, you know what we talked about at yeah. the opening of, of our conversation here. Yep. You know, you, you know when you get when you start to outdraw certain people. It, in a territory, mm-hmm. they they might not like it because they want to be the center of attention and they want to yep. be the ones that are you know supposedly drawing the money. I totally you know, agree. So you got to watch it. You know, I mean, it's like you know, like I told you in all in Texas with with the spoiler. Yep. And he told me he said. You keep on, uh, he said, you're only going to last here about three weeks if you outdraw the kids. And he was exactly right. Three weeks later, I was off the, I was off the top of the card and in the middle because I was drawing money. Yep. I was out, I was out drawing the kids, you know. So, um, what was it like working with King Kong Bundy? King Kong Bundy. Oh yeah, he was. Uh, you know, he was younger. It was. Uh, that was in Texas. I was working for Fritz there in Dallas, and uh, you know, he 
he was younger and, you know, just learning, you know, and I tried to talk to him a few times. And and I'm trying to tell him, I said, well, your size and, and and see, he could talk on the interview too, you know. Oh, he was good. And the way you talk on the interview, I said, I said, you have the potential to make some serious money here. You know, but you know, he was, he was kind of naive, but you know, he learned. Oh, you did. He was a beast. I mean, when um, he started getting real big, especially over in WWF, man, he was just, he just had it going on. Oh, yeah. Um, Also, um, when you worked over at WWF, what was it like to work with Vince Sr.? What was that? What was it like to work with Vince Sr.? Yeah. Oh, I think you're breaking up. Okay, can you hear me? What was it like working with Vince Senior? Hold on a minute. All right. I am still here. Um, um, I guess he couldn't hear me. I guess we were staticking a little bit, but um, we'll see if he'll um, pop on. Um, this has been a pretty good interview so far, Bugsy McGraw. I'm going to ask him what was it like to be part of WWF working with Vince Sr. So uh, I guess um, let's see if he's going to get back on. If not, I apologize. I'll have to end up calling him again. Um, um, please bear with me. Let me go ahead and give him a call. Um, it, um, are you still there, Bugsy? Hey. Oh, I'm here now. Okay, I was telling the um, I was telling my audience um, we we had a little staticking uh, connection, and I was going to get ready to call you. Do it again. I was um, I was telling my audience, you know, um, we lost connection a little bit, and if I didn't get back with you, I was going to call you back. <laughs> we kept the connection here, kid. <laughs> oh, we sure did. So we're okay. Now, the question I was going to ask you before we kind of lost a little connection a little bit, because you got to love technology. Um, what was it like working with Vince Sr.? For Vince Sr.? Yeah. Uh, well, Bugsy McGraw. That was the name that Vince, Vince the Sr. So let me have. Okay. That, that name, that name came from Vince Sr. Yeah. I, um, I, when I came into New York, my they they put me with uh, Captain Lou. You know, Captain Lou Albano. Yes, I do. Lou Albano. And uh, so they brought me in, and they put me on top with uh, Bruno Sammartino in Madison Square Garden, and we sold it out. And um, but the thing of that is, I don't know if you knew this or not, but <clears throat> when we had when I wrestled Bruno in the garden. It was in September. Here's the thing with wrestling back then. This is 1975, see? Okay. 
and back then I, I'm not sure it was really changed that, that much but September for professional wrestling was a very bad month because the kids at that time were going back to school so their parents had to buy the books and the clothes and the, you know um, all the supplies so usually in professional wrestling the month of September would really drop off bad and I can remember Vince Senior came to me and right to my face he said he said if we draw 70% of a house I'll be really happy well we sold it out <clears throat> and uh, I worked with Bruno and Bruno was great to work with you know because you know that man was uh, you know he was the real deal you know and I went in that ring because I was in shape I was big I was strong I was in shape and I had heard all these stories about Bruno about how he was you know he was strong he was in shape and so forth and so on so I went in that ring you know I, we had an expression back then I don't know if they use it now anymore but, but I was going to blow him up so I went in there boy and I you know I, I mean I took it to him I mean I really took it to him and I remember one time I'm in one corner on my knees and he's in the opposite corner and he's dancing. Oh, I was so pissed off. I thought, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I got up and I charged him again and we went at it. Bruno was in shape. Oh, he was in excellent shape. And he was strong too. He was the real deal. I bet he was. I wouldn't want to mess with him in a ring. <laughs> and, you know, we, we had a terrific match. And I, got, I was told later by guys that were, because Vince Sr. and, you know, who, who your monsoon is, right? Yeah, I know who Gorilla Monsoon is, yes. Yeah. So what was it like to work with Gorilla Monsoon? Oh, wait a minute. I'll tell you something. Okay. But uh, Vince, because Gorilla Monsoon, Gino Morelli was his real name. He would help out with the book. Uh-huh. And so at the garden, you know, Vince and, and Gorilla would always watch you know, the main event to see how it went. Yeah. So, you know, I got the word back that they're watching my match with Bruno, right? And Vince turns to Gorilla and goes, how come our other guys don't take pumps like McGraw takes? Because I was a high flyer, you know, I could take a lot of bumps, high bumps. Uh-huh. But he was really impressed, you know. Well, they should have been really impressed because you and Bruno main evented that sold out show at the gardens and you guys did one hell of a show. That's why they were so impressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got along. While I was there, I got along very, very well. 
So, um, you also worked with Andre the Giant, too. Yeah, well, I was going to tell you something about my son. Okay. Because we went to, one time we went to, to Scranton, I think it was. Okay. Pennsylvania. And I had a match with Pete Sanchez. I don't know if you know who he is or not. But, but anyway, with, with Pete Sanchez. Um, and Gorilla was there, you know what? So he was in charge of the show. You know, he was a booker, so so we go in there. We have the match, you know, because uh, as a heel, well, I always like to lead my matches because I'm because I know what to do, how to do it, and yeah. when to do it. You know, so I'm working with Pete Sanchez, and and Pete was easy to work with anyway. Anyway, we had a terrific match, and and I come back. To the dressing room and monsoon I, you know this is a very high compliment okay he said to me when I got in the dressing room he said that was a nearly perfect match he said and I was you know I was flattered you know wow that's the second time he gave you a great compliment man I bet you were like uh, on top of the world then yeah yeah because he considered that one a nearly perfect match uh, but you know I mean so you know it's like it was good but Andre the Giant was usually easy I wrestled Andre the Giant in a few places you know Vancouver would be one of them. Uh, New York, Texas. I don't know if I wrestled him in Florida or not. Oh, yeah, Florida, too. Wow. What was it like to get into the ring with a big guy like that? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I got along with Andre really well. He was... Uh, he was nice to me, you know what I mean? He he came to me one time. I think we were, yeah, pretty sure we were in Florida. Mm -hmm. And he came to me, you know what I mean? I didn't go to him. I didn't ask him for anything. He came to me and and he handed me this, this sheet of paper with, with, his, with his phone number on it. And he said, and he said, uh, yeah, call me anytime. Yeah, so I thought that was really good, you know. So, um, did you have any regrets in your whole career? Uh, yeah, I'm sure I did. There were, there were a few. Bruno, um, Bruno, well, I didn't, Bruno was a great guy, you know, he helped me out a lot. Uh, I should have, um, Bruno wanted to send me down to Charlotte as a heel. Uh-huh. Back there about 1975 or 6, it was. Yeah. 76, probably. And I went the other direction. That was a mistake on my part. I should have gone down there for Bruno. Because Bruno came to me and he said, he said to me, he said, he said, actually, he said, you have too much talent for this territory. He said, I want to send you to Charlotte. And 
so then he went to Vince McMahon senior and he told Vince McMahon you know I want to send McGraw to Charlotte and Vince McMahon goes oh hell he goes hell no I ain't letting you send him to Charlotte he said I want him here and Bruno Bruno said to Vince McMahon senior well if you're going to keep him here make him some money this is a true story brother my paycheck went up the next week by $500 a week. Wow. Every week went up by $500 per week. Wow, man. That's good for you. Oh, yeah. I would say so. <laughs> um, uh, I, the one thing I, I loved about you, you know, uh, seeing you, um, you know, I, I watched some stuff on YouTube and online of some of your matches, and I really enjoy your promos. I love how you get um, the crazy psych- psychological rants in the ring. It's just so entertaining. Yeah, you know, that, that was, you know, because, of course, really and truly, for the most part, <clears throat> you're going to draw a large part of your draw with the crowd I totally agree with you because it seems like nowadays, um, it seems like a lot of younger wrestlers, I'm not saying all of them, a lot of them just don't want to do promos nowadays, I've noticed, um, you know, uh, today. In my... Yeah, you know, you know, well, you know, you just have to look, Robin, you just have to look at history. Yeah. Almost every great man throughout history, throughout time, one of the assets he had, if not the only asset he had, was the fact that he was a great orator. Yeah, I totally agree. And and the cool thing about how um, I grew up in the '80s watching wrestling, I just loved it because it was just a. It started off with a story, the beginning, the middle, to the end. You had the awesome promos, which made the story even good, and it made you want to come back to the show or or watch it next week on TV to see what was going to happen. Oh, well, there you go, kid. Here's the thing. Now look at this. Okay. I'm going to show you something, you okay. know, that you might not have thought of. Okay. Maybe you have, I don't know, but, you know, back, you know what I told you about back in 1979 in yep. Florida? Yes, you did. The show we had, we either sold it out or we had a packed house. Yeah. It was almost sold out or it was sold out, see. <clears throat> now, here's what we did. In Florida, Sunday night was Orlando. Okay. Monday night was West Palm. Tuesday night was Tampa. Wednesday was Miami. Thursday was Jacksonville. Friday and Saturday were spot shows. We ran those same shows every week. Week in and week out. Week in and week out. If Vince McMahon Jr. tried to do that now, within a few weeks he would have nobody in his audience. Wow, I didn't see it, see it that way. Wow. And we were selling out. We were either packing the house or selling it out every week. And we ran the same five shows every week. 
every week, 52 weeks a year. Dang, I, you guys put some good shows on, but uh, um, that you guys put a lot of wear and tear in your body, so uh, to make those shows good, though, too. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you had to, you know. But it, you know, I mean, it's like what you said. You, you that you said you like to follow it because you know the of the human uh, the human interest the human interest stories. Yeah, I do. And the thing was, I wish growing up I was able to go see some uh, shows um, in the territories, you know, all over. But I grew up in California, so I really didn't really get to witness some of these uh, territory shows on TV. Um, the only shows I was able to watch in California was, of course, AWA, WWF, NWA, and WCW were the only um, big shows that were shown on TV when I was growing up in California. And if I wanted to follow anything else of the territories, you know, like Smoky Mountain, you know, Mid-Georgia Atlantic, etc., I would have to read them out of the uh, wrestling magazines. Yeah. I can understand that, yeah. Man, I wish I could have saw some good shows in the territories and wish I saw you live. Oh, man, that would have been just so epic. Well, back then, it, it, it was good. We had some really good talent back in Florida back in 1979. We were just, I mean, things were just going so well. Was, we, had, You know, I was working heel for <clears throat> for over six months when, before I switched baby face. Working heel, I was working, uh, you know, we had uh, the Viking, Leroy Brown, uh, Nikolai Volkov, um, man, who else was there? Dusty Rhodes, Ray Stevens, the Briscoes, Wow, you 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 worked with a lot of great names, and then um, what? When did you decided to uh, leave the ring um, after your long career? What got you to uh, leave? Uh, <clears throat> well, I thought uh, I tried to get back into New York in the late eighties. Uh huh. <clears throat> and uh, well, you. Yeah. If you want to hear the whole story, the story was I went down uh, in Florida, in Tampa. I went down to the Sun Dome, I think it was called, and they were having a show. Vince McMahon was having a show down there, you know. So I went. I knew Pat Patterson from San Francisco, uh-huh. and, and so I went down there to see if I could talk to Pat Patterson because at, at that time I had heard. He had become the number two man in uh, in the organization. Yeah. So anyway, I went down there and I found him. I cut, but before this, I mean, I got myself in shape. I lost, you know, I lost a lot of weight. I put myself in shape. I looked good. I was ready to go, and I came to Pat. I said, Pat, I want to work in yeah New York all again I, and I said I've lost weight I've got myself in shape I'm looking good I can get the job done and right at first he went oh yeah man you really fit in here you'd be great here he said see this was on a Saturday night he said you call me Monday at the office up in Connecticut 
and he said, I'll set this up. Boy, oh boy, was I happy. I thought, that, oh boy, this is going to be good. So, you know, Monday I call, and they tell me, uh, Pat Patterson is not available. So I call Tuesday. Uh, he's not available. I call Wednesday. He's not available. So I wait a week. I call again. No, no, he's not available. So I knew, you know, I knew he screwed me over. Man, that sucks. Yeah, that did suck, you know, because was, but anyway, I mean, uh, life continues. So that's, that's when I decided, you know, I don't have to take this crap anymore. I can do something else. So I, I went back to school. Yeah. Yeah. For two years. And I became a registered nurse. Wow, and um, it, um, when you um are, was a registered nurse, um, is there times where you think about you know that um, you really missed uh, being in the ring? Oh yeah, because uh, once I went back to school, and then you know once I became a registered nurse, I was I, I was working local promotions in Florida, mm-hmm. so I I was working probably for about 10 years or so, maybe just a little more than 10 years. I was working like one to three times a month. Okay. But just, but just, but just local shows for local promoters. So, um, also while you were doing that too, did you, um, get into the training aspect? Did you train any, uh, young pro wrestlers coming up? Uh, you know, I tried to help out a few, but you know, they really didn't have it, you know, so. I got another question for you, too. Um, what advice would you give to somebody that's um, starting out and wants to become a professional wrestler today? Um, probably just about the same thing I've said before. To, throughout a few years or, or quite a few years, you know, you've got to be you got to be in, not only in shape, not only just good shape, you got to be in excellent shape. you got to be in, in just fantastic shape. That's number one. Number two, you can't have any fear. If you got fear, forget it. You don't belong in a ring. Hey, that's some good advice to have. Um, and I also want to say, Bugsy, Thank you so much for um, coming on to my podcast, sharing your story. Um, I really had a good time hearing some great stories of you in the ring. Why, well, thank you, Robin. It's, it's, it was good. Uh, it was good to talk to you. I mean, if you want to, you want to talk in the future, you know. I definitely would. I would love to have a Bugsy McGraw part two because I know you have hundreds more stories we can talk about. Um, I will definitely take you up on that sometime. Yeah, yeah, because uh, just you tell your viewers that you know they can order they can order the book on Amazon, Brute Power, but also you know besides my book, I. Uh, I I, uh, I have I have uh, my scrapbook. Okay. And this has uh, you know, over five hundred of the the pictures, the posters, the the articles 
from all over the world and the programs. I mean, this is the true history of professional wrestling is in my scrapbook and it's very well done. And <clears throat> I definitely have to get well, that scrapbook. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you know, I mean, you, I mean, you're looking at true history, you know, back at, it, you know, it starts back about 19, 1967 or eight and goes through about uh, 1993. I definitely have to ch- check that out. Yeah, well, well, you can order that too on Amazon, and, but it's a scrapbook. It's big, you know what I mean? It's big, you know. But also with uh, with the book, you know, like I say, with the scrapbook, you have over, you have over 500 pictures and articles and posters and programs. But uh, with the book, now the book is over 300 pages, but it, it's got over, it's got roughly 50 to 60 photographs in the book itself, too. I definitely have to pick up that book and um, uh, read a little bit more in it. Um, I looked at some of it. I'll definitely have to get one and um, read it all the way through. And then, uh, you know, and when I meet you in a, sometime in the near future, I'll have you sign it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It'd be good to see you. Yeah. I will be too. And um, like I said, it was a pleasure. I'm so glad you, um, you know, took your time to come on and um, on the podcast with me. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I might. Um, you're living in Cincinnati, right? Yeah, I'm in Cincinnati. Yes. Yeah, I might be. It depends on what's happening with the so-called virus, but I'm, yeah, I, I want to be coming up to Indiana. Oh, I've got some friends. Well, I got relatives over there in, in Princeton, Indiana, okay. the southern part of Indiana. You know, I thought maybe you know, if you're uh, if you're around, we might see each other. Who knows? Yeah, you should hit me up um, when I um, when I get off uh, the uh, the podcast. Um, I'll talk with you and I'll give you my um, personal number so we can keep in touch. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, why don't you text it to me? I will definitely do that. And um, everybody else, uh, thank you for listening to Wrestle Popcast. And you can follow Wrestle Popcast at Twitter at. Rob Kicks, and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, Russell Popcast, and you can listen to my podcast, Russell Popcast, on Spreaker, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Podcast City Network at podcastcity.net, Hidden the Marks Podcast, and you can follow me at Facebook at Robin Paul Nelson. And everybody, have a great evening.